Good morning. Today's Bible reading is Galatians 5 verses 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Hopefully you got a leaflet on your way in. There's an outline there, if that helps you, and the readings on the inside page. Well, have you made any New Year's resolutions? And how are they going one week in? I mean, I was going to give up all my bad habits for the new year, but then I realized nobody likes a quitter. And I thought, maybe I'll take up a new hobby, such as procrastination. But I think I'll do that next year. But the trouble is with resolutions is they don't work when they're just another attempt to change ourselves from the outside in, you know, just bringing, trying to bring to bear external rules to combat what would naturally drift to, left to our own devices. But what about love? Could we make a New Year's resolution to love? That sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? Well, I think intuitively we know that love is an inside-out thing. You know, you can't make someone love with a bunch of rules. They can, good rules and guidance can help us express love in action, but even following the best rules perfectly won't mean our hearts are doing that because we genuinely love. And even if we do genuinely love... 
If you think about romantic love and family love and friendship love, we're all too painfully aware how temporary and fragile those things can be. But what if our lives were permanently changing from the inside out, steadily moving in the direction of love? Well, this is the second of our series looking at passages from the Bible that help us think, know how to think rightly about love, to see what God thinks about love. And in today's passage, we're thinking not only about how to love, but also why we love and, and where our love comes from. Just to set out my stall, because we're talking about the Holy Spirit today from this passage, to set out the stall, every Christian has the Holy Spirit of God living in us, all right? It's not some second event special for uber-spiritual ninja Christians. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Um, he came, he gave us his spirit when we came to believe. From Galatians 4, verse 6, because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And remember, you might remember from previous sermons, the spirit means Jesus is with us in such a way, Jesus reckoned it means he'd be with us in such a way that we're better off with the Spirit than with Jesus sticking around physically to be with us here and now. And that's what Jesus reckoned about the Spirit. So where this fits in with love is that today's passage tells us that the, the fruit, the thing we can expect the Holy Spirit living in us to produce in us is love. So verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So today we'll look at what the Bible realistically expects this life of Spirit-grown love to look like. And we'll see that it looks like a really normal life, actually. It looks like the kind of daily struggle that you know and experience. So we'll look at what it means to walk in the Spirit, to live the normal Christian life that brings gradual, long-term, permanent growth in love. And if you're not a believer listening to this today, you might be thinking, well, I don't have this Holy Spirit according to you. This isn't relevant to me. Well, I hope you'll see from this part of the Bible that God's idea of what love is is miles better than any ideas of love that humanity's come up with. And, that, and I hope you see God's generosity in giving us what we need to love like this. And that how it's much, much better than just another bunch of religious rules to try and keep. Okay, so Galatians 5. We're diving in sort of mid-letter. Um, so a text without a context is just a con. Remember that? So we need some context. Um, to see what we're looking at. So this eyewitness of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to counter false teaching this church in Galatia have been getting. This idea, they're being taught by false teachers that new believers also need to get circumcised and follow a bunch of Jewish customs in order to be made right with God, to be part of God's people. And it, to counter that, he's reminding them that they're not saved by keeping the law or following these customs, but they're saved by grace. Through the Spirit. So back in chapter 3, he said to them, uh, chapter 3, verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? 
Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So they began with the Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit bringing them to trust and believe in Jesus. And we, we continue in the Spirit. So we are now us and the Spirit. We're one unit. We're not just ourselves anymore. So we shouldn't now go backwards looking for answers in just our own works rather than by faith in Jesus and the Spirit at work in us. And as I said before, in the creed, the first way we know we're walking in the Spirit, that he lives in us and, and we're going along with what he wants, is if we're sticking to the same original gospel, the good news about Jesus, standing firm in the gospel and not drifting into adding extra requirements to be saved and to find our source of love. So we're freed from the slavery of keeping rules to be saved. But what should we do with this freedom? All right, point one there, free to love. We're free to love. And Paul begins this section, verses 13 to 15, very practically, very realistically. Now, why do most high schools not have a muck-up day anymore? You know, schools used to do this. They have a muck-up day where the year 12s could basically do what they wanted. Someone told me the story of where they let loose three three sheep and painted the numbers one, three, and four on the sheep. And so, of course, the teacher spent the rest of the day looking for sheep number two. But most of them don't have a muck-up day because as soon as you say you don't have to follow the rules, our default is to go too far to indulge in destructive behavior. And Paul knows what's popped into their heads when he said freedom is on offer. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free but don't, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So what does it mean by flesh there? Some translations have sinful nature. Um, my flesh is my humanity in its narrowest sense without reference to God as my creator. So my flesh is my own heart's desire. My flesh, the easiest way to think of your flesh My flesh is me. Your flesh is you. And the very practical opposite of indulging in the flesh is to serve one another humbly in love. If we don't have love, we don't have true freedom. Doing whatever you feel like doing, chasing after trying to indulge your flesh, is basically what the world tells us life is all about, isn't it? And the Bible's got a real example of someone doing just that. In Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he has the resources to really indulge himself with work, money, education, vanity projects, sex, the arts. And what did he find? Not freedom. Slavery. He became a slave to chasing after meaning and satisfaction in what he desired himself. So there are two kinds of slavery to avoid. Slavery to a bunch of external rules that never really change us. And slavery to our own selfish desires when we give ourselves over to doing whatever we want to do. True freedom is found in serving one another humbly 
in love. Ironically, true freedom is found in becoming slaves to one another. So how can we do this practically? We can invest in friendships with one another. People joke about psychiatrists that train for years and years to ask two questions. How are you going? And how are you really going? Psychiatry 101 for you. We can serve each other greatly if we can be for one another that trusted person who you can tell how you're really going, who you can pray for, hold accountable to, listen to, or just have a laugh with. So practical ideas, how about forming a prayer triplet with two others you can really trust so you know you've always got that safety net of bringing even the darkest corners of life to God in prayer. Or find someone to read the Bible one-to-one with. Find someone a life stage ahead of you to mentor you. Or become a mentor to somebody a life stage behind you. Uh, Tim Chester, in a book called You Can Change, puts it like this. God is using different people, the contrasting personalities in your church, to change your heart. He's using the difficult people, the annoying people, the sinful people. He's placed you together so you can rub off each other's rough edges. It's as if God has put us like rocks into a bag and has shaken us about so that we collide with one another. Sometimes sparks fly, but gradually we become beautiful, smooth gemstones. Remember, the next time someone's rubbing you up the wrong way, God is smoothing you down. God has given you that person in his love as a gift to make you holy. Serve one another humbly in love. That's true freedom. That's walking by the Spirit. So next, fight for love. Looking at verses 16 to 21. Verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Just get some water, excuse me. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Often people think this means the Spirit leads us in various ways to make the decision he would like us to about personal choices. So, for example, career, what job should I do? Should I get married and who to? Should I buy that new car or not, God? And usually that's coming from a good heart of wanting to do the right and loving thing. But it can go a bit awry. I once heard um, a pastor describe it as the Cheerios method of being led. You know, imagine sitting there at breakfast with a bowl of Cheerios, asking the Spirit to give you a message. And the trouble is, as you stare down into your Cheerios, it's always the same message. Got a picture there? Always the same message. Ooh. Now, there's much short, but more we could say about how we should look for guidance. Here's a short version. There are things clear in the Bible that we definitely should do. If you think of a circle, there's things in the middle which definitely should do those, and the things we definitely shouldn't do outside the circle. There's clear priorities we should have, and then, then beyond that, there's what's wise and what's foolish. And within that, we have lots of freedom to do what we prefer. On the whole, in the Bible, being led by the Spirit isn't about those personal choices. It's about being led into God's big plan of salvation. 
The Holy Spirit's primary role is to keep leading us back to Jesus, trusting in him for salvation, becoming more like him. Now, of course, if God wants to, he can talk to us directly through his spirit. But if we think being led by the spirit is about lining up our personal, everyday decisions of preference with God's will, then we tend to think that if life is then a struggle, it means, oh, I've not listened properly, I've made the wrong decision, I've not followed his lead. But actually, according to the Bible, if we do follow the Spirit's lead, struggle is exactly what we should expect. Because the Spirit leads us into all-out war. Verses 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want. The Spirit leads us into conflict with our own desires. The normal Christian experience is that until the day you die, you will want to do things that you should not do. But you will always feel the pull of the Spirit away from those things. Before we were born again, We were at war with God and at peace with ourselves and the world. And now it's the reverse. We're at war with ourselves and at peace with God. So before you were Christian, you were at war with God and at peace with yourself. Now we're at war with ourselves and at peace with God. The Spirit in us gives us a new heart, brings Jesus to us by faith, meaning we've got a new agenda new loyalty, new sets of priorities going in the opposite direction to what our own will and the world would want. So verse 16 is a promise, a strongly worded promise that you will not. There it's got the sense of if you walk by the Spirit, you will in no way, not a chance, absolutely not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So walking in the Spirit isn't this sort of everlasting stalemate. The Spirit has your heart now, and he promises to empower you to resist and to put off the desires of the flesh. Not in a rule-following, under-the-law kind of way, but by changing your heart so that increasingly your heart's desire is to be like Jesus. So in classical mythology, now I know you're all into classical mythology, so this will be really familiar to you, was to me. There's a story of Odysseus. He and his men had to sail past the sirens who would sing. There's a slide for this, thank you. He and his sailors would, had to sail past the sirens who would sing irresistibly and enchant sailors so much they'd smash into the rocks or die listening to their singing. So to resist, Odysseus, he did the law thing. He stuffed his men's ears with beeswax and had them tie him to the mast until they'd passed by the danger. So they kind of tried to control things externally. But then there's Orpheus. When he went past, he got out his guitar or lyre or something and belted out his greatest hits, drowning out the temptations of the siren with more beautiful music. 
So he offered something better than what was being tempted. The spirit in us brings us Jesus, grows our love for him. So increasingly, his heart, our heart's desire is for Jesus more than for ourselves. So I want to encourage you, if you are feeling the weight of struggle against sin, that's the normal Christian experience, and it shows you that the Spirit is working in you. And if you're not struggling with a particular sin right now, it's not because you haven't got any. You just need help from the Spirit to point it out and help you overcome it. So don't give up. Don't be despondent. The promise of the Spirit's help, it's not like a weather forecast. It may or may not turn out that way. It's a promise of God. He is in you. You do have his help. And he will, in the end, prevail. So then in our passage, Paul gives us two lists to compare and contrast. What the results of indulging in the flesh are and what the Spirit produces in us for us to keep in step with. So first, a picture of what life is like when you take love out of the picture. Verse 19 and 20. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and it's not an exhaustive list, and the like. I don't think I need to explain them to you. I would like to point out, though, that things like debauchery is on the same list as dissensions and factions. I don't think we'd put them on the same list, but there they are. Anyway, without love, it's not a pretty picture, and it comes with a warning. Verse 21. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't saying that we fall in and out of salvation because we can all look at that list and think of ways we've at least been on the way there, ways that we've fallen. We need to see verse 21 as like a warning sign. So I don't know if you notice, signs like this, they don't put them at the bottom of the cliff to tell you that you've already fallen off it, do they? No, they put them at the top of the cliff and the sign doesn't mean that you are going to fall off. It's a warning sign to make sure, help you make sure that you don't. It's there to make sure you don't fall. And that's one of the ways God ensures our salvation is, is certain. In Hebrews especially and elsewhere in the Bible, there's lots of warnings to not fall away. So it's a new year, and it's a good time to do an uncomfortable audit of yourself against those verse 19, 20 activities. And then heed the warning and back away from them, or run away from them. So those who live like this, that's talking about uh, an unrepented of pattern of life, a life deliberately characterized by these things. It's saying that this lack of love is what you are saved from, so don't go against the Spirit in you by living that way anymore. Okay, our last section. We've got the power to love. The power to love. Paul describes the life of love the Spirit in us produces. 
Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So notice it's fruit. Uh, Notice, first of all, it's singular, fruit. So all of these things can be expected in all Christians. And it's fruit. So he doesn't say the dramatic, rapid transformation of the Spirit is, he says, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that grows gradually. So gradually you can't discern it growing with the naked eye. A gradual thing. I still feel guilty about when Sharon, my wife Sharon was pregnant with Owen. Um, my mum bumped into her into the shops and mom hadn't, my mum hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks. And she saw that she looked, Sharon looked really ill and insisted she would go to the hospital straight away. And the right thing to do, she had preeclampsia. But because I'd been with her every day, I hadn't noticed the gradual change in her. Gradual change. The fruit of the Spirit is the Spirit's promise to us that he will grow us in love, making us more like Jesus. And the norm will be that that's gradual the result of small victories forged in the battle against our flesh. We can expect the Spirit to keep gradually producing this fruit in us because when we first believed, we began with him, and when we did, he put us in good standing, reinforcements at the ready in our battle with sin. He basically came to live in us to guarantee we cannot lose. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's our spiritual reality. The Holy Spirit in us means we'll definitely win in the end. Love will prevail. The power of sin to enslave us has been dealt with harshly. It's been crucified. And we'll always have our battle against our desire to sin in this life. But it's a battle that has ultimately been won for us. Uh, The hymn writer Charles Wesley puts it like this. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. So what's our part in that if the Holy Spirit is doing all this? Verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like our new lead dance partner or our walking guide, ruling over sin, leading us in the way of love. Here's how we came to faith. Here's how we carry on in faith. And he gives us the fruit of love. So now we've got two choices to make every day. Choosing to walk in step with the spirit living in us, going along with all that verse 22, 23 stuff. Or we can choose to step out of step with him, heading in that verse 19, 20 direction. So keeping in step with the spirit means doing all those good things, not because you have to, not to generate enough stuff, love from the outside in, but doing all that good stuff because you are loved, because love lives within you, so that your acts of love are going along with your new, real, vibrant self, going along with who you really are now in Christ with the Spirit in you. So the ways, going the ways of the flesh, it's just like slipping painkillers to your old dead self to put off the inevitable. 
But did you notice in verse 26, what's the opposite of keeping in step with the Spirit and his ways of love? What's the opposite of that? Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. If life is all about following a bunch of external rules, well, if we think we're pretty good at that, we'll become conceited, become proud, full of ourselves. And that will, I guarantee you, provoke others. Or if we fail by our own standards, if we're trying to keep those rules and we fail, well, then we're envious of others we think have done a better job. And in the end, that's not doing good out of love, it's just doing it for ourselves. That means keeping in step with the Spirit means sticking with that original gospel message he began you with, never adding to or moving on from Jesus. It means loving others humbly, and that coming from a place of knowing we'd be just as lost as anyone else without Jesus. To sum up then, the what, why, and how of spirit-grown love. Having spirit-grown, inside-out love means fellowship with one another as church, using our freedom to love one another humbly. Having spirit-grown, inside-out love means daily walking into a fight against our sinful desires. But it's a fight that ultimately is already won. Walking away from acts of the flesh towards acts of love. And having spirit grown inside out love means trusting in him to give you life, to grow fruit in you that will gradually transform you to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love to us in Jesus. Thank you that you are in us by your spirit and that you promise this fruit of love for us, that you've won the battle. But Lord, in our day-to-day struggle, please help us to hate sin, help us to fall out of love more and more with the desires of our heart and to fall more and more in love with you. For your love to empower us to walk in step with your spirit and what you're up to in us. Please help us to love from the inside out. Amen. Uh, We're going to pray.